0: We'll run the stopwatch so uh, I make sure I don't go too long. Someone asked where my robe was. Uh, I came with beard. And I hope this is mine. It is now. <laughs> All right, you guys are going to play along. You never know. It's kind of weird when you're church planning and you're asked to come preach different places and you're like, I don't know these folks. They don't know me. Like, how's it going to go? So. I don't know the house rules here and all that sort of stuff, so, but so far it's been great to be here with you and to be welcomed uh, in your presence. So I love your conference theme about being set apart for Christ's mission and how we integrate together our faith and life. And so I wanted to share with you um, a field manual, uh, a tool that you could use in going forward to serve in mission together as God's people and even as God's um, disciples, as Christ's disciples into the world. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 28, and yes, we're going to read the whole chapter because I'm using the whole chapter as part of the field manual. You'll see it'll make sense here soon enough. pretty familiar, and it's really interesting, all the pieces that are here in this this last chapter. And just keep this in mind, oftentimes a writer has a lot of important things to say at the end, so these are some important things that Matthew, for his gospel, has for us. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples to tell them. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord, just as you encountered uh, those women and your disciples, Lord, in your resurrection, we pray, Lord, that you would encounter us now. Lord, that you would, in a sense, interrupt us today. Lord, that we would see you. And Lord, that we would hear your voice in your word. And Lord, that you would be at work. Lord, helping us to, to be a whole piece with our faith in our life. And Lord, that you would do this for your glory and Lord, for the good of your mission in the world. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so how is this a field manual for mission? Well, I think it is really helpful to think about the gospel of Matthew as a whole. Now, you might be thinking, where was Matthew when he wrote his gospel? And most folks actually believe that he was actually residing in the city of Antioch, a city about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, about 16 16 miles in river from the Mediterranean Sea. And if, you've, uh, if you pay attention to the book of Acts, which is really sort of the story of the early church as it, as it exploded out of the resurrection of Jesus and the coming and the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you can't help but stumble over this city called Antioch over and over again. And I can't help but think of Antioch in some ways like Flintstone, uh, sort of uh, a place that uh, is maybe... a not most prominent. You know, you're definitely not the prominent town here around Chattanooga. Uh, you, there are even larger cities like Atlanta off in the distance. Uh, and yet, like God has had his presence here and God has been at work in this place. And uh, it's really interesting to see that you're doing a missions conference and to hear about all the mission activity that you're supporting around the world. There's a lot that you share in common with the town of Antioch in that way. Antioch was the place where people were first called Christians. Jesus' people were first called that there in Antioch. Antioch was a place where the gospel flourished and it became a base of missional operation out into the larger Gentile Mediterranean world. Uh, An unlikely place. Sort of a small place, a a weaker place. uh, A place that uh, wasn't like uh, Philippi. Or wasn't like some of the other great cities in the Roman world. And yet, I love what Francis Safer says, that there are no little people, and therefore there are no little places. God loves to use small things and weak things and insignificant and powerless things and foolish things to shame the strong. That's part of the reason why I went to Morristown. Uh, It's hard to find folks who want to go to those smaller places, and yet... Uh, the big places and the small places, the populated, uh, the densely populated areas and the less populated areas all need the gospel to continue to be preached and shared. And so Matthew's actually writing his gospel, he's actually writing it to both those uh, Jews who've been dispersed out, and so they're living abroad and they're becoming more and more Gentile-like, but he's also writing his gospel to Gentiles, to people who have never really, aren't as familiar with uh, this sort of Jewish-based religion that's budding and blooming all over the world to them. And so he's writing this in a very Jewish sort of way to show that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God's anointed, that he is actually called and chosen to be the king of the world. And what's really beautiful about Matthew's gospel is he weaves together history and theology and i think this is so important for us to to grab hold of today because sometimes we we think of these stories in the gospels as almost maybe like myths or things that yeah they most likely happen and matthew is reminding us that these things really took place and so he's giving us both the life and ministry of jesus and he's also giving us the teaching of jesus he's given us Really um, an opportunity to have a window in on what it was like to live like in that day. And yet also to know what Jesus' will was for his people as they were following him. And so Matthew here gives us in this last chapter, it's sort of his... um, and it really starts at the end with the Great Commission, but it's sort of his call to those who've read his gospel in total to know, like, what are you supposed to do with all of this that you've read and heard about Jesus? And so really there's three parts of this field manual, sort of three different sections. You know how books sometimes get broken into sections. So the first section of this field manual is to remember your commission. The second section is to anticipate the opposition. And the third is to carry the king's ammunition. And i got to tell you, I have preached this sermon several times. This is the first time I got the alliteration right, I think. (laughs) And it really does work. So remember your commission, anticipate their opposition, and carry the king's ammunition. First of all, Matthew wants us to see that we're to remember our commission. So when you go into the military, uh, you're giving an MOS, It's a military occupational specialty. It's your job. They've assessed you. They've seen what your skills are and your strengths, and they put you in artillery or aviation or engineering or intelligence or, I don't know, KP. Um, And you're given this MOS as a way of knowing how you're to be of service. And it's your specific job you're called to do. And actually, Jesus here gives his people a KOS, a kingdom occupational specialty. And guess what? We all have the same job. Whether you're a missionary, we talk, we saw that in the Q&A. Whether you're a missionary who's actually going on a, a field or a church planner, or a pastor, or whether you're a, a mother at home or a mother who works out of the home or you're a father or whether you're a single person in a new vocation or uh, whatever the case may be. We are all called, whether you're a student in college or in high school or lower, we all have the same kingdom occupational specialty. We're all given this same commission. You see it here in verse 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So first of all, I want you to notice that you and I are called, that we're directed, that we're authorized, and that we are empowered to fulfill this commission. So about, a, uh, about eight months ago or so, I was in between jobs. I was uh, an associate pastor in Atlanta, and I was wanting to uh, go and be a church planter in Morristown. And I was no longer functionally serving in my role at my tr- the church I was at in Atlanta. But guess what? I wasn't duly authorized by the presbytery to go and plant the church. And I got to tell you, that was the weirdest place to be. I sort of had a calling. I was sort of being directed. But I wasn't yet formally authorized or empowered or equipped to go and do that job. And so I remember back in July, middle of July, we were at St. Elmo's, and it was a really lovely day to come back into the presbytery and to have the presbytery hear my transfer call and to hear the calling that the M&A committee gave to me to go plant this church. And finally after that, it was kind of like, I can go do this now. Before that, I couldn't even go buy a home there. I had to wait before I could move into the area because I had not been authorized and empowered. And I just want to encourage you. Some of you sometimes, uh, and I fall into this as well, we're hesitant about following Jesus and the commission he's given us to share the gospel with others because we don't necessarily feel authorized or empowered to do so. Well, I'm just telling you right now, Jesus has authorized every single one of you and empowered you, directs you and calls you to go and make disciples. So, I want to go through this really quickly because it can be a little intimidating. The first thing I want you to see is he tells you to do what? To simply go. To go. And, you know, going just means to go where you're sent. Every day you're sent out of your house into the world. And that might be you're doing that in the context of a foreign mission field, but it might be a domestic mission field, which is right here in Flintstone, Georgia. Go. Go into the hospitals. Go into the office place. Go into your places of business, into your neighbors' and friends' homes. Go into your schools. Go into your friendships and your relationships. Go into your families. Wherever you are, just know you are authorized and directed to go, being a witness for Jesus. Notice he tells us to make disciples. Now, this idea of disciple just means to be a follower. So basically what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to show other people why Jesus is worth following. It's really simple. So I just want to encourage you, like, it's really taking how you've come to see and hear Jesus. Meet you at the place of need in your own life. You know, it's sort of like that famous phrase about where one uh, beggar shows another beggar where they found bread. You know, we all the time doing this. We're bearing witness all the time about our favorite pizza place, right? Or that hot new album that just, the, the music just captures your soul. Or the best book you just read that, man, it just made you feel a bit alive. Well, find where that has happened in your life with Christ, what about Christ has been attractive to you? Where, where has he met you in a place where you were imprisoned? And so you're simply to make disciples is to help people see Jesus and to hear Jesus and to be willing to want to obey and follow Jesus and to give their lives to Jesus. And that leads into the next thing, which is to baptize. And you might be thinking, well, Chris, I'm not a pastor. I can't baptize anyone. Well, that's true in a sense, but you know what baptism simply is? Baptism is this sign that we give to people that marks them out. You know, identity is such a huge thing today uh, that we're tapping into. People are realizing, like, we actually all do have an identity. And we also have these sort of primary identities, and we have these secondary and third-level identities that we're all sort of wrestling with. And to be baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to have your identity overhauled. That the primary identity that you now share is that you are a child of God. You know, oftentimes uh, people think of baptism as an expression of your belief, and that's maybe part of it. But it's really about how you belong. And people in the world today are hungry to know that there is a place that they belong. There is this huge hole that we all have to know, do we belong with Father, with God, with that, that power and person in the universe who will bring significant to my, significance to my life. And so we're to baptize people, we're to give them this new, help them see this new identity that is only to be had in Christ. And lastly, we're to teach Christ's commands. You know, notice this, you're not to go teach my commands or my version of Uh, Christ commands you know and when Pastor Dennis begins to weekly preach here like he is going to be preaching Christ and in as much as he or I or any other person follows Christ you can imitate us in as much as we're following Christ but never simply follow us only follow and teach what Jesus has commanded and what Jesus has given to us to know and to do so I just want to encourage you this morning. We're all here. You can all remember this commission Christ has given us. You notice it talked about how he wanted to go and grab the brothers, and I will meet with them. And what's behind that is also all these other followers of Jesus. And so you've got the church that's being formed. And so that's a great thing for you to be doing also here in this place is that you're not only going out as individuals. You're encouraging one another and helping one another and sharpening one another and equ- and empowering one another to share your faith together in this community as a witness to the Lord. So let us remember this commission that we have from, from Jesus Himself. And you know, I often think about what it means to be commissioned, right? Uh, in the old days, kings and uh, the wealthy would actually, and people still do this, they'll commission someone to do some sort of work of art. That's what I just want to encourage you. You're called into a beautiful work of helping people capture the beautiful uh, glory of what the gospel is in Jesus Christ. You're being called, not to do some task that, is, uh, that might feel coerced or strained, but remember the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ that captured your own heart. You are being commissioned to share that beauty, to share that story, to share that truth. The second thing is, it's not only um, to remember your commission, but we're also to anticipate the opposition. Now, I think this is a really uh, surprising thing that shows up, and it's really interesting that it even appears in the gospel itself. But you see there in verse 11 through 15, and even before that, the opposition gets hinted at, doesn't it? The very fact that these leaders, the religious leaders... Have been opposing Jesus all along and in growing measure to the point that they had him killed. And then even after he died, they were anticipating some sort of trouble. And so they set up this arrangement with these Roman guards, sort of off the books, sort of black ops, you know, with this little uh, side group of Roman guards to make sure the disciples don't come and steal his body away. You see, right away, there's opposition And why would there be opposition? Because Jesus was someone extraordinary. I mean, he was unlike any other person they had ever encountered. He performed miracles. He taught with power. And now, according to Matthew's gospel and all the gospel writers and all the witnesses, he's been raised from the dead. He's back. And this is an, absolutely, this is an absolute game changer. You know, if, if you were to, if, if Jesus really is raised from the dead, everything's different. You know, it's really an interesting thing. It's sort of a, more of a general revelation sort of a comment or observation. But if you look where the gospel has gone around the world, and I'm not baptizing any particular religion or party or government uh, sort of operation, but if you look at any place where Christianity has gone and flourished, what happens there? Over the long run, life happens, and justice begins to come in greater measure, and darkness gives way to light, and there's education, and there's advancement. We've seen that over and over again, and it's almost like, I heard this one commentator say that the life of Jesus is so powerful that through his people, it's just radiating out like ripples into the creation. That's one of the reasons why we want to go into all the world. God wants to see his glory go everywhere. And if the resurrection really has happened, it's changed everything. And look at Matthew's witness of the resurrection. What happened to this guard? These men stationed to watch the tomb. Do you see this? Verse 2, there's a great earthquake. I couldn't imagine seeing an angel of the Lord descend from heaven and rolling a stone back and sitting on it. Um, And his appearance is dazzling. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They're absolutely arrested. Matthew wants us to see that the resurrection really has happened. And you know what? It arises not... People joining in, it doesn't uh, evoke in people a, a capitulation to give up and to acquiesce. What does it raise up in people? It's an absolute threat to every power structure in the world, personal and corporate. And so these guards, something incredible happens. What do these guards do? They go back and they bear witness to the religious leaders that Jesus isn't there. And this angel came down, and he's gone. And so right away, there's already this desire to hush up, to cover up. So what's the, what are we to do with this? And I think the very first thing is simply this, is to expect conflict, to expect resistance, and to anticipate it. I can't tell you where some of my um, hardest frustrations come on a week-to-week basis. In fact, I know where they come from. They come from just not expecting life to be hard. You ever get in that moment where you just want to think life's going to be easy, and we're just going to roll through this day, and the tire tire goes flat, and the kid gets sick, and the the check uh, account bounces, and before you know it, like, oh my, like, what just happened? And it's because we allow ourselves to get lulled into this thing that, hey, you know what, I'm just going to keep crushing life. And in fact, Jesus wants his disciples to anticipate, to expect, to be on the lookout for, uh, to know that there is going to be resistance. And notice that there's resistance from inside and from outside. Yes, the Roman guards were opposing uh, Jesus on some measure. They took the money. They took the hush money. They didn't say any more. But notice people most likely that should have recognized who Jesus was, the religious leaders, they were in stark opposition to Jesus. We even see sort of the the, the weakness of Jesus' followers, the fears they had, the doubts they have. Even in their own hearts are betraying them. So we should always expect opposition. And notice at the end here, of verse uh, this middle section, verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You know, people love to find some sort of uh, glitch that they think exists in the gospel, and they'll keep perpetuating it. And so what does that mean? That means we have to keep correcting and teaching and showing in gentle, patient love the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So remember your commission, anticipate opposition, expect it to persist, but lastly, I want to encourage you this morning that as you go to make disciples, that you carry the king's ammunition. Now, you know, we don't carry um, we don't carry real bullets as disciples of Christ. But we have real resources available to us. And uh, I think this is one of the most beautiful things about this chapter. First of all, I want you to see the first thing that you carry as a weapon of sort is the king's commitment to you, to me, and to the church. Do you see it? The very last sentence. What does he say? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Think about that for a moment. I mean, just think about it in context. We know, if you know the rest of the... What happens in Acts is where does Jesus go at the end of the, some of the Gospels? We don't see it directly here, but where does Jesus go? He leaves. He goes back to heaven. He goes to the throne room of God. So what does this mean? He's, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And it's a beautiful picture that Jesus embodied, incarnate, can only be in one place at one time. So he goes to heaven so he can send his spirit And he can unflow and and give out his great gifts through his spirit so he can be in all places at all times. How can Christians be in isolation in prison in China and cling to Jesus because Jesus is with them to the very end of the age? When you're at that moment of loneliness in your bed at night, by faith you can know Jesus, by His Spirit's presence, Jesus has promised I am with you always to the end of the age. And the very fact that you're here today where two or more are gathered in His name, Jesus is here today. This is His commitment to us. And as you're bearing witness to Jesus know this, He is going to give you the words to speak. Sometimes you might have to wait. You know, it's kind of like that moment, you know, where someone uh, zings you with something and you walk away and the next day you remember the response. That's all right. I'm like that all the time. I am slow to the draw. But, you know, I have to trust that God is doing His work in and through me the way He wants to do it. And sometimes I have to be patient and wait. But He is with us in His Word. He is with us through His people. He is with us by His Spirit. Take comfort, Christians. Take comfort, church. He is with us always to the end of the age. So carry that around with you, this commitment of his. Secondly, I want you to carry around the king's comfort. Now, we see here in verses 5 and 10 that the disciples are struggling with fear. And that they're afraid. These, actually, these women are fearful and they're afraid. Do you see that? And i got to tell you, fear can be so contagious, can't it? Uh, when I first preached this a few months ago, I never would have known coronavirus would have caused such global panic. But here it has. I mean, it's astonishing. Fear itself is like a virus that just spreads Fear is something that's actually quite natural. i got to tell you, if an angel came down and rolled back a stone and sat on it like a champ, uh, I think that would get my attention. I think I wouldn't know what to do with that. That would be unusual. I think if Jesus, who had had died, whose body had been prepared, who had been laid in the tomb, all of a sudden was not there and had been told he was alive, I think I'd be a little bit afraid like something bigger than myself is happening. I think if I knew that there was opposition to Jesus in the form of the power structures and thinking that there might be backlash to following Jesus, I think I might be afraid. And yet, what does Jesus say over and over again to them? Do not be afraid. So I just want to encourage you. Take that, bundle it up in your heart, let it be a powerful resource, his comfort to you. It's his words, not mine. I'm not making this up. It's hear Jesus say himself, Chris, do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I got this. Lastly, I want you to see not just that we have these, these great weapons of his commitment and his comfort. Jesus is actually building a really unique culture among his disciples and in his church. And it's really marked in two ways. And I think the first way is really, a, both of these are super powerful witnesses, but I think one of these is really powerful and is that, that Jesus actually is okay with our doubts and our uncertainties. Do you see this in verse uh, 16? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but what? Some doubted. Uh, It's not necessarily the best translation, but it basically says some weren't sure what to make of this. It wasn't super clear to them at the moment. There were still things that they were wrestling through. The Spirit hadn't yet come. You know, Peter, who is, is about to be restored You know later on, like he's going to be confronted again by... It's not like Peter all of a sudden gets hit with a lightning bolt and never makes another mistake. So these disciples are in the midst of learning what it means to follow Jesus. And when they have questions and doubts and uncertainties, guess what? It's really powerful to know Jesus is okay with that it's it's okay for you to recognize those to announce those to speak those do you know how powerful it is to speak your fear or to speak your questions to someone else especially in a safe place it's powerful and that's the kind of culture and community and people Jesus is building we don't have to be a uh, you don't have to be a church where you got all the answers Jesus didn't give us an airtight argument, as Keller says. He gave us an airtight person. We're not offering people arguments. We're offering them a person in Jesus. And he welcomes our fears. He welcomes our doubts. He welcomes our uncertainty. But notice the last thing of this culture. What happens every time they encounter Jesus? They worship him. They fall at his feet. I mean, this is an incredible thing, that Jews would worship a man as God. Because we know Jesus is no ordinary man. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That he is the king. That he is our allegiance. And this is the last thing I would say about how this is a wonderful field manual for mission. As you go out, just pay attention To the doubts, to the fears, to the questions, to the concerns, to the worries that your neighbor has, to the people that you suspect or know aren't following Christ, they don't have hope or they're looking for hope in other places, the wonderful, beautiful thing about Matthew 28 is a field manual for mission. Is that it gives us everything we need for a lost and dying world? That here we get reminded Jesus Christ died and Jesus Christ has been raised. And the world is looking for hope. And the resurrection is the greatest hope we have. It tells us that what Jesus did on the cross worked that it's paid in full, that it is finished. And simply, we're to follow the one who is life itself. Now think of Peter's words when he said elsewhere, uh, where else can we go, Jesus? You have the words of life. Let's follow him. Let's go and make disciples. Let's go and show people this beautiful vision of the gospel, this beautiful vision of who Jesus is and how he is for us.